privilege to talk about my very best friend, hopefully yours as well, and I, I, I'm assuming he is, and that's Jesus. Jesus is the greatest friend I've ever met in my life. Um, he is the one that sticks true. He's closer than a brother, um, better than any family member, better than any parent that I've ever, my, my parents that I love and love me dearly. Uh, he's better than that. He is the most incredible force I've ever had in my life, and it's always my privilege to talk about him. Last time, we talked about Jesus going to the house of Zacchaeus, if you remember, and he was a notorious uh, sinner and a tax collector, and uh, he brought salvation to his house by making Zacchaeus his friend. So what we found out is that Jesus wants to become our best friend. He wants to become our friend. He is Lord. He is Savior. Uh, he is all the things the Word says that he is. He is our healer, and it goes on and on and on. But he is our friend. He lays down his life for us. And then we saw how he also went to Matthew's house. And uh, many other tax collectors were there along with all sorts of um, uh, despots. People that were maybe uh, outskirts uh, of society. And uh, he was right there in the midst of them. And then Matthew actually became one of his disciples. An awesome, an, uh, an awesome apostle uh, in the years to come uh, as one of the originals. And so, and here he was, just a, a guy that uh, was more, more than likely uh, a thief. Most tax collectors were in those days. But by the way, also, uh, Jesus did this when he went to Matthew's house, when he went to Zacchaeus' house. He did it in plain view of everyone else. In other words, he didn't hide it and go, hey, uh, listen, I'm going to be coming, but don't tell anybody. You know, I don't want people to know, who, you know that I'm there because they might think that I'm not right. So I, I just want to slip in and slip out. He didn't do that. Everybody knew he was there. Everybody showed up, as many who, who would be able to come. And he did it in plain view, right out in the open and in public. That's how Jesus deals with all of us. He's not ashamed to hang with us. He's not ashamed. Look, let me tell you something about Jesus. You don't get about him. And maybe you do. But this was one point that we need to drive home is that Jesus was with you when you were in that bar. Now, how do I know that? Because somebody was praying for you. And see, what you don't know is he's not afraid to, to, to get a little bit, his hands get a little dirty in order to get to the people that he loves the most. And that's what he does for us, and that's what salvation is all about. So he could have been easily been afraid of the backlash of, of society, what people would have thought about him in those days, because in that culture and at that time, to eat with somebody was to say, I share the same values as you do, or I identify with you. Most Jews at that time, would have seen him guilty uh, simply by association. And by the way, Jesus spent a lot of his time not in the synagogues, but in the streets, right in the highways and the byways where the prostitutes, the pimps, come on, somebody talk to me, where all the dirt, the filth was, the adulterers and everybody else, thieves and everybody else. Jesus spent his time right there. He was not afraid to mix it up. Now, he did not get involved in their sin because the Bible says he sinned not, but he went where sin was. So he knew that that, that was that would have been in those days tabloid material come on somebody somebody would have took a shot thank god they didn't have social media back in those days but <laughs> but he'd, we'd have those pictures forever right but the truth of the matter is is that if they did well certainly we know they went and told everybody because we've seen story after story of them telling on jesus trying to trip him up because he hung out with this person did you know he was over there at those people's house and nobody goes to them especially if you're a, a man of god right so he was um he, he was right in the middle of where there could be potential harm or scandal, where there could be scandal. Let me make this statement. Jesus didn't care about the scandal. He cared about the scandalous. 
Did you get that? So that's what he went. That's what he was attracted to because that's who needed him the most. Arrogant and prideful people of religion. In other, other words, people that carry a pharisaical attitude. In other words, a, a Pharisee spirit about them are people that put rules above loving and caring for other people. They're more into their rules and regulations than they are about the people. They much they feel more pious and better about themselves if they catch them in a bad behavior and then tell everybody, I caught them in a bad behavior. They think they're a Christian, but they're really not. Come on, somebody. And then they're more interested in that, that kind of religiosity, than they are about helping the person at hand. And they're more concerned with the appearance of holiness than they are the heart of humility. Look at Matthew chapter 15. It says this in verse 1. Then the scribes and the Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus saying why do your disciples transgress the traditions of the elders for they do not wash their hands when they eat bread he answered and said to them why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition so in other words they held to the traditions not the word of God man made traditions that seemed religious and he said for God commanded, saying, Honor your father and your mother. And he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to the father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to God. Then he need not honor his father and mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. So people that hold on to their traditions rather are people that make the word of God ineffective in their life. He said, you're a hypocrite. Well, did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching his doctrines, the commandments of men. They're not doctrines. You made that stuff up. When he had uh, called the multitude to himself, he said to them, hear and understand not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a man. Then his disciples came and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? And Jesus said, duh. No, he didn't say that. Obviously he knew. But he answered and said, every plant which my heavenly father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They're blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both fall into a ditch. Then Peter answered and said to him, explain this parable to us. So Jesus said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not yet understand? that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated but those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and they defile a man for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts murders adulteries fornications thefts false witness blasphemies these are the things which defile a man but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man in other words he says there are issues of the heart that defile men not other men's traditions saying you got to do this you got to do that and if you don't do those things you'll never be able to serve God correctly he said I'll work with that part but the part that we have a hard time with is the stuff that comes from your heart that is not of my spirit and one of those things we find out I don't have time to get into tonight is the judgment that we have over other people Luke 18 9 uh, says this it says also, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and another tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, and they're unjust, and they're adulterers, or even as this tax collector standing right over here. 
I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. When people think they're their, their, their religion is uh, now a piety. In other words, they feel better about themselves because of their religiosity and they're more superior than other people. God says, they're not justified. But the man who's a dirty, rotten, low-down jerk but says, Lord, forgive me. I can do nothing without you. That man becomes justified. Come on. This does not give us a license to go do what we want, but certainly because we do fall short, because we're not perfect, it opens our heart to receive God. It's because of your mercy. It's because of your truth. It's because of your son, Jesus, that I can even walk this way in the first place. It's not my good works. Although I do good works because that's what you want me to do. But that doesn't make me fall into better graces with you and make you love me more. You've already made up your mind about me. You love me. What I need to do is repent and let go of the sin. The temptation is to put a stop to what we don't agree with rather than prayerfully give it to God and ask his wisdom on the matter. And I, won't, I don't have time to go into all the details, but... Even today, I was thinking a little bit about it. And that's so true when people don't agree, especially Christians, and I meet them all the time. When they don't agree with other Christians, they want to speak against them. They immediately want to speak against them. We've had pastors speak against this church. They didn't even know who we were. But because there was a little bit, and I've heard this, and I, and I, don't, I won't name names, that's not what I do. And we love them, and I believe they're over all that. But when they heard that some of their people were coming over here, and then they, they would tell, and I had one, this came right back to me, and, and, and the pastor is having a leadership meeting, says, don't you dare go over the faith builders, because uh, that's a cult over there, and, and, and they're sheep stealers, they're sheep stealers. And I was so mad when I heard that because I'm a lot I'm, guys understand I'm, I'm real cool now I'm real mellow now but I was like 31 32 I was a hothead I was still I was pastoring but Jesus had to work with me a little bit come on and I was so angry I said let me tell you tell that guy the reason why he's sheep are coming over here because they're starving to death over there come on somebody and somebody's got to feed them properly praise God I said don't tell him that that's wrong don't even say that I forgive me Jesus forgive me God because I wanted to, you know, you hurt me? Come on, I want to hurt you back, right? But that's not God's will either, so I've calmed down since those days. But they would say things about our productions, and they never came to one of our productions. They'd hear about the music we played. Oh, that's not God, that can't be God. But they didn't see the hundreds of people crying at the altar, giving their lives to Jesus. You know, and it's easy for us to speak out, speak against something we don't. I just had... Um, uh, this came to me, the story came to me today, a member of our church, uh, her name's Erica, she's a great lady, and she, she was telling me, this was about a year and a half ago, how she went across town, and, and she was, uh, her organization was helping to uh, take uh, food, uh, and they go, go to food pantries, and they, they, have to, uh, they have to inventory it all and all that, so she's working with this pastor, and the pastor starts telling her about the vision that he has for help in the city, and uh, she's excited about it, and, and he goes, hey, what church do you go to? If you go to church, what church do you go to? She goes, oh, I go to Faith Builders. She goes, man, Pastor, when I tell you that man went from happy to the most angry look on his face. He goes, oh, we're Pastor Pruitt is? And she said, he got so angry, started speaking about the church and, and speaking negatively. about. And she said, I'm sorry, but I had, to set, I had to set that man straight. She goes, you call yourself a man of God? Speaking against another man of God? Let me tell you what Pastor Pruitt and that church does. And she told the vision of that, and that man had to shut up. Come on, somebody say amen. 
And Father, we pray for that man. Help him in Jesus' name right now. And I thought, wow, most people won't even stand up for anything, right? I was, I was happy that she did that. And she said, I kept professional. I was nice. But I was like, you're not going to talk about my pastor like that, praise God. And I think, what? I don't even know this guy. I have no idea who this guy is. So it's because when we don't understand something or we don't agree with it, the temptation is to speak against it. We've got to make sure we don't do this. When we see our neighbors doing stuff we don't like or we see other people doing stuff on social media we don't like or, or we're at work and they do stuff we don't like, we've got to be real careful because they're watching our testimony. People are watching our testimony to see what we're going to say or what we're not going to say. Because most people know what you're against. Tell me what you're for. Ever thought about that? People are so quick to tell you what they're against. I hate this and I don't like that and blah, blah, blah. What are you actually for? Because that translates more positivity and more of God than anything else. Somebody say amen. amen. Luke chapter 9, 49, verse 49 says, Now John answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he does not follow us. But Jesus said to him, Do not forbid him, for he who is not against us is on our side. Now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face. And as they, they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you, do you want us to com command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? But he turned and rebuked them. Jesus rebuked them and said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. Did you catch that? So God's saying, look, if they're not doing what we, we don't agree with, let them alone. Let God be the judge. If you don't want them in your life, don't hang out with them. That's what he's saying. He said, but we're not going to call fire down from heaven. We're not going to hurt them. You don't know what spirit you're made of. That's not what God, I didn't come here to destroy anybody's life. I came here to save them. And again, a religious person, a pharisaical spirit, is someone who wants to keep people in check, make them toe the line while giving themselves a free pass. Because after all, God sees how wonderful they are and how messed up everybody else around them is. I had one guy, you might remember as we were in this part of the church years ago, and I'm preaching, man. He's a new guy. I'm preaching. It might have been his second service, and he's about three rows to the front. And uh, I'm going to town, boy, on something. I don't know what it was. And the man stands up, and he turns. Now, he's, he's looking at me. I'm, I'm there, he's, and I, I'm him. And he's looking at me. He goes, tell them all. And he stands up. Tell them all, preacher. Tell them all. I thought, dude, I'm talking to you. I, you're the one I'm actually trying to tell. And by the way, it went flat. It was like a dud. Everybody just went, looked at him like, sit down, you know. But I, I think that that wave, that, that, little, that little scene comes up in my head because that's what Pharisees do. I don't have the problem. Everybody else has the problem. I've learned something in life. Become introspective. Look inside first. Is it me? Am I the issue? Is it something I need to change about my life? What can I learn from this situation? Do, am I the one that needs to change? Let me just tell you something. Probably more than not, you're the one that needs to change. Yeah, but they do too. Probably they need to change, but you can't change them. You can only change yourself. Amen. And unfortunately, I see this too often. People come to us for help in their lives, 
and they're messed up, but then God does a work of grace in their life and they get healed from whatever's going on. Then they go right out and after being touched by God, they go blast other people for some of the same things that they've done in their life. Let's not be a church like that. Let's not do that. How prideful and arrogant can that be? be that we're being forgiven and yet we won't release that same grace there's years ago and this grace message pops up every about 15 years and it popped up a few years back and basically um, you know it's a, it's, a, it's a doctrine of the church but it's taken to its excesses can actually be a doctrine of devils because it's like basically it gets down to one, you know everybody's saved and everybody can do whatever they want to do they can sin because you're under grace and, and you're going to heaven no matter what that's a lie and that's not the scriptures at all you've got to repent of your your sin and then he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin anyways and so I found out that the people that got a hold of that book or those books and we're reading that they, they were talking about this grace message right they were the most angry people I had ever met in my life they were so angry now grace is supposed to set us free right but it said, I could see like a burden and a yoke coming upon them. And they were so angry. And what was interesting, the people that, that wanted that grace so much for themselves were unwilling to give that grace to anybody else. Let's not be like that. Receive grace so you can give grace. If you've been forgiven, you should be willing to forgive other people. Am I talking to somebody today? Look, this is simple stuff, but it will change your life if you walk in it. Yes, I do believe in order. Yes, I believe in being obedient to the word of God 100%. But I also have come to understand that it is the Holy Spirit's job to convict people and to convince them of their wrong and not mine. My job is to tell them the truth, not bend their arm to do it. Trust me, if you know me long enough, I would like to do that. I would like to kick him in the butt. I would like to say straighten up. I would like to smack him around a little bit. Say, what's wrong with you? Trust me, I would. But what good is that going to do? They're going to run from me, fight me. They're, it's all going to be flesh. But if I just speak the truth under an anointing of God, now it's been released from me and they've got to make a decision. Let God do the convicting. If you have a spouse that's not serving God, the worst thing you can do is badger, 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 badger them. Read this pamphlet. Uh, you know, you better come to church this Sunday. Oh, we got a word from God. Everything's going to get a line. If you're going to lie, you're going to hell. I mean, you know, let me just tell you something. It will not work. It'll actually drive a wedge between you and them, and they'll not. Guess what happens to you? Let me just tell you something. This is, this is not part of anything. This is just experience, okay? Especially you ladies. If your husband's not walking with God and you're walking with God, pray for him. Make sure you're praying for him fast. Do what you can. Love him. God will honor that situation. In his time, it will be honored. But if you start saying, the pastor said this, and the pastor said that, and the pastor, what that man's going to think is you love the pastor more than you love him. And now I'm just another man in the way. And now I can't speak no life into his life, and he won't want nothing to do with church because that's like you being with somebody else, to be honest with you. So just be wise about it and pray for them. That's just free on the house. Praise God. Anything else would be what? Would be manipulation and control. So let me make this statement. Be judgmental and using judgment are two totally different things. Um, judgmental is this. Judgmental is a way of making yourself feel better and superior by putting other people down. Usually caused by closed-mindedness. You're not going to hear it. Judgment is different. Judgment is the capacity to assess situations or circumstances shrewdly and to draw sound conclusions. It's using discernment. So 
the Bible says, you can't judge this because the Bible says, judge not lest you be judged. Uh, now, wait, hold on a second. Let's be very careful. The Bible always also talks about discernment, and discernment means to judge. Of course I'm going to judge a situation. I will judge a relationship because I have to judge, is that a good thing for me or a bad thing for me? Is it a good thing for my family or is that a bad? You got to judge, come on. But judgmentalism is saying, I'm right, you're wrong, I put you down. Until you come on my side, you'll stay wrong. That's being judgmental, totally different thing. And it doesn't come to any conclusions. You can see how where uh, you know, people are judge, judgmental. You think about the people that God's used in the word of God and literally you can't find hardly anyone in that book that has not made tremendous errors and mistakes and sin in their life. Joshua was told, don't you touch the mountain. Nobody touches the mountain and lives. And yet Joshua not only touches the mountain, but goes in the mountain and gets promoted by God. You tell me how that works. Because God doesn't judge the man on the outward. He judges the man on the inward. Same thing. This is Old Testament, y'all. This is the Old Testament. God didn't play in the Old Testament. He hurt you. I mean, lightning bolts would come out of the sky. God didn't play because it wasn't a time of grace. It was a time of obedience. You must obey him and keep his laws. That's what he wanted. And you did not eat the showbread. The only people that ate the showbread that was inside of the tabernacle were the priests. They were the only ones allowed. It was an offering given to God, except for the priest could eat it. Well, David and his men are hungry. Remember, they're starving. And David doesn't know what to do, and the men don't know what to do. And so they come to David. David says, I know where there's some bread. They said, where? They said, he said, and the tabernacle. He said, we can't eat that. They said, we can't eat that. We'll die. He says, you don't know him like I know him. He's my friend. And they went in there, and they all filled their bellies with the showbread that was in the tabernacle. And everybody lived. Not only lived, but they all won the next battle. Now, God said, don't do it. But God doesn't look on the outward. He looks on the inward. It's almost like God gives preferential treatment to certain people. Have you ever looked at them and go, how do they get away with that? I never get away with stuff like that. It's because God looks at the heart. He knows the situation. He knows what's going on. So we don't cast our judgment upon them. Moses was a murderer. If we would looked at him today, we say he couldn't be a leader. He was a stutterer and a murderer. How could he lead God's people? Yet he did. Abraham was a liar several times in major issues. God still used him. Jacob was a deceiver and a thief. God still used him, didn't throw him away. David was an adulterer at the end of, at, towards the end of his life. And what happened? God didn't throw him away either. He kept his kingdom because why? He got on his knees and he wailed and he repented, said, God, I'll never do this again, please. And God forgave him of his sin. Aren't you glad we got a good God that hears the cries of our hearts, doesn't throw us away? And so... There's a story in the Word of God in John chapter 8, and you, most of you know it. It's the woman that's caught in the act of adultery, and they go and say, Jesus, the law says, stone her. What do you say? He writes down, he's writing things down with his finger on the ground, and next thing he knows, he says, he who's out sin, let him cast the first stone. And they all throw the stones down and walk away. And so it's like, a, it's like an amazing thing here because the word says what the word says. And yet Jesus said, if you're without sin, you go ahead, you, if you ain't never committed a sin in your life, go ahead, and, go ahead and throw the stone. Every one of them walked away because they all knew they had sinned. He says, what he's saying is her sin's not worse than your sin. Yours might not be stonable, but it's sin. It's all sin in the eyes of God. And he says, woman picks her up, shows her compassion and says, look around. Where are your accusers? And she said, there are none, Lord. He says, neither do I accuse you, watch this, go and 
sin no more. It's not as if he gives her uh, carte blanche and says, keep on doing what you're doing. You're okay with me. He says, don't sin anymore. But I want you to know, you're forgiven. You've been absolved of this thing. And I'm not going to allow other people to accuse you of something you've been forgiven from. You're going to see people in leadership in this church. You're going to know their past because you grew up with them. You knew them 10 years ago and you knew them last week. Praise God. And they're going to be in this church. Go, oh, I can't believe that they would have somebody like that. Well, I'm here to tell you that's the way our church works and operates. We don't have perfect people here. And they're, and they're working on it. If they stay in sin, we'll have to work on that issue. We're going to have to help. We'll help them. They may not be able to be in leadership. But if they've got, if God's forgiven them, who am I to judge them? We're a church of second chances, third chances, fourth chances, fifth chances. Come on. But if you want to stay in sin, that's a whole different thing altogether. Because he said, go and sin no more. So Jesus offers a way out. He never leaves us in a place of, I told you so, or I'm right and you're wrong. You ever notice about Jesus? He doesn't do that. Of course he's right. He's always right. But Jesus is all about solutions. Here's how we can fix the problem. He doesn't ignore the problem, and he doesn't uh, uh, pretend like he doesn't ignore the problem, and he doesn't just walk away without dealing with the problem. He always addresses it, but addresses it with love and with a solution. What am I trying to say? My best friend Jesus has taught me that he's working with me, that I don't always get it right, that I make a lot of mistakes, I fall, I, and, and, but I don't want to fall. I sin, and I don't want to sin, but I do. But he's still working with me. He doesn't throw me away because he's the best friend I've ever had. Best friends are there for you all the way to the very end. Let me tell you something. If you're, you're a friend with somebody, you're a friend to them. Now, sometimes you can't hang with them all the time because they're being ugly. Come on. Amen. But when they're need, you're there for them because that's what a friend does. They're there for that person no matter what. My point is, Jesus is the same way. Jesus then, because he's done that for me, I got to do that for others. I got to be solution oriented. How can I help you up? Instead of being pharisaical and say, see, I told you so. Yeah, you're down for the count, just like I thought you would be. I told everybody you would be, and there you are. Anybody can do that, by the way. Anybody can point a finger. Come on. It's super easy. And I love how people have prophetic insight, but it's hindsight. Come on, somebody. I knew that God told me that 10 years ago. Come on. Stop that stuff. And so, and so the truth of the matter is, is that it could be that personality which God condemns, or it could be the person says, you know, I do see their sin, and I feel really bad. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to invite them over. I'm going to bring other people over to my house. We're going to have dinner together, and let's see what we can do to encourage them to get back to God. Let's see what we can do. Maybe we can pray with them, and, and, and maybe they can open up to us, and we figure out what's going on in their life. I was telling Pastor Reuben on the way out tonight, I said, you know, the funny thing about getting older in life is you do find yourself being more empathetic to other people. Where before, I'd be like, ah, get over yourself. My God. And he called me to be a pastor. Can you believe that? The compassion that I have. And, but he did. He called me just the way I am. And now you get old, you go through life a little bit, you see things, you go, you start to have more empathy towards people. Oh, wow, they're probably going, maybe I should ask how they're doing before I, you know, rip into them real good and think, where have you been? And what, you know. 
I'm going to ask, how are you doing first? Because you don't know until you ask. And then there's a whole story that goes with it. You go, wow, I didn't know all the stuff they were going through. Isn't that something? So that's the kind of church that Jesus is raising up. That's the kind of church he wants us to be. That we, we don't ignore the sin. We notice it. We want to bring a solution to help them get to a place of repentance. But we're going to love them back to life again. Amen? Amen. Let's give the Lord a big cheer tonight. Hallelujah.